Hi, I'm Carla Marie Sweet, and you are listening to the Playmakers Podcast, a new podcast by Box of Trucks Theatre Company that's all about platforming creative conversations with theatre makers from all parts of the industry. This episode's guest is the brilliant David Judge. David is an actor and writer who has worked extensively across stage and screen. His play Sparkplug, which he wrote for Box of Tricks, toured in 2019 and was shown on Sky Arts in May 2021. We talk about Sparkplug and many of David's other projects in the following conversation. David talks a lot with his hands, so if you hear any feedback on the mic or strange thumps in the background, that would be why. We could have edited those moments out, but they often came when David was speaking most passionately about some of the most interesting things. So we kept them in. As with all episodes of the Playmakers podcast, of course, this conversation is pretty raw, uncut and unfiltered. So do expect to hear the odd swear word that hasn't been beat and some discussions around sensitive topics. Here's me talking to David Judge. So I'm going to start by asking you the question that I'm going to ask all of my guests who come on the podcast. And that question is, why theatre? I suppose it was, it was the, the most accessible at the time. And like, I think... What was the time? Yes. Yeah, so, so, there's, a, there's a theory about football and like the reason that so many people play football because all you need is a ball. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> a ball and some other people. And you can play it on the street, you can play it on the field, you can play it anywhere. I'm not saying you can do that with with, with, with theatre, but when it comes to like the arts, if it was to be like filmmaking or being a director or even like being a musician, I don't think high school really offered you the chance to be able to take that up unless they kind of specialised in it. Whereas GCSE drama is the place where all the naughty kids end up, um, and some of them naughty kids end up being talented. And they get told, well, look, you, you can express yourself through behaviour. Or his drama class, which, like I say, that was, that was the only thing that allowed you to express that thing at that time. Mm. Um, and were so, you considered a naughty kid? Oh, definitely, definitely. But like, like I said, like I'd bring that back to the sports analogy at the top, because if I opened my shed at home, I didn't have a tennis racket and a cricket bat and uh, a canoe to go canoeing or skis to go skiing. There was a football and maybe a flat football, <laughs> but mm. someone else had a pump and someone else had a couple of other feet, do you know? And at my high school and, and yeah, where I grew up, it wasn't like, oh, here's a big theatre. Um, here's, here's this big palette of arts that you can get into. There was... The classes that you fucked about, classes that you messed around, mucked around in, and there was the classes that you didn't. And art, technology, PE, and drama um, were kind of these other classes. And, and I think like drama and art were looked down on, upon, especially amongst my peers. They were the ones you messed around in. But for me, I, 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 was, I, was, I, was, I was good in drama. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I might be stumbling off getting a long way to answer this question, but I thought about it recently. Mm. And I came from a place where we used to MC on a corner and like, I'm, I'm, well, I'm writing for theatre, I'm writing for the screen, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for speaking other people's words on stage. But yeah, I don't have like English A-levels, English degrees, uh, but I have an ownership over English language. And that came from, from what, being inspired to be an MC when I was young, to be on a street corner, uh, MCing, freestyling, ad-libbing, taking ownership of that language there. And if I would have had a big brother who was into cinematography or I would have had an uncle who was into art, maybe that would have been the way I would have expressed myself or told my stories. Maybe if I had 
a studio or a mum and daddy would have let me get the decks upstairs and bring my mates around so that we can come uh, and start figuring out what this is that we're doing on the street. That might have been the palette in which I told my story. But yeah, I, I went through drama at school and then all of a sudden, as the actor or the artist you are, you're working with new writing and you're seeing how, how plays can be wrote on the page and there's no kind of English um, discipline about it. Like when you see new writing on the page, there can be no punctuation, there can be no rules of poetry. It, it, it's just what's the best way for the, the actor to understand how to say what the, the, the writer intends. And for me, and perhaps yeah. that's, that's part of the reason why you have ended up doing what you're doing and being so good at it because there are a lot of people that write how they think people speak instead of how people actually speak. Yeah. And sometimes, and I think it's the same with, with acting as well, I think there is a such thing as being overtrained, you know, and there can be the thing of like, much respect to those who went to RADA and to Lambda and managed to kind of like forge their own path and forge their own identity after that experience. But there are also actors who have been to those schools and kind of come out sort of like feeling as if all of their identity has been dismantled and they've come out sort of like a cookie, cookie cutter version of everyone else and I think the same thing can happen with writing you know you can go and study writing but then you will learn how to write the way your teacher writes rather than the way that you write and then you might learn to write the way your influences write without necessarily having a true understanding of how your average Joe Bloggs actually speaks. Yeah, and how does the, the, the micro become macro here? Because if you have a lot of confidence and trust in yourself, which it's hard to do sometimes being the underdog or being in the arts where you know it's a fickle career and being British, our relationship with our ego is so kind of uh, toxic <laughs> that we're not allowed to ever kind of pat ourselves on our back. And unless you're sure of yourself and, and you've got fierce kind of trust in yourself and belief, like you do go in kind of pandering yeah. to whatever situation it is, you know, thinking I've got to be the right actor here or I've got to be the right playwright or I've got to be the right student. And, and mm -hmm. actually sometimes you've got something for everyone else to learn. Like I was, I've just come back from the National and it blew my mind to realise that I was an older actor there, like, like um, putting my ego to one side, but it was my third time there. But, but for me, you kind of, it wasn't about it being, that was the first time I was there with that much confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the first time I was there allowing myself to be that much me. And I, I sat around with some really young actors and mm -hmm. they were like blown out of their minds with their first gig to be doing Shakespeare yeah. uh, at the National. But And then you come with an energy of like such, such gratitude that you can't move past that gratitude and accept that that job is yours and and you need to make it your own and bring what you have to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? And I'd speak to them having a pint and, and they'd be going, we're just so happy to be here and to learn off you and all these amazing people. And they'd be like, well, don't bring anything to... You, if you want to take something away, you've got to bring something to the table yourself, you know? Like, um, I've got... Look, this director's worked with me twice. I've never been the perfect actor. I've gone in and just had to show him me. So he obviously wants to know what you are. There's thousands of people out there who can go and be the right actor. Mm. But, but be the right you. And that sounds really simple, but to go back to what we were talking about, it's, um, it's the, the privilege where you find that privilege mm -hmm. or you find that, that sense of comfort to be able to have confidence in yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. What, and, to be, yeah and to be able to say, I'm going to write this in this way and yeah. other people are going to work to hear me rather than me working to be heard all the time. What do you think has been that journey 
of finding that confidence for you? How have you arrived at the national on the third time and gone, yeah, I deserve to be here. I feel confident being here. How have you, how have you got there? It's, the statement exists on reflection, really. It's like, um, I think the fear of not being good enough and the fear of it never happening again and um, the, 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 the sense of being incomplete and, and, and that kind of... Um, Impersonator syndrome. What's what was that the right word? Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's only kind of on reflection um, that you kind of go, actually, um, I, I was confident enough to be there, or, or, and this. So, so um, I think, yeah, I, I think for me, if if you get comfortable, there's a danger. Sorry, I'm going to just rewind back. I was in a pub somewhere, uh, the Winston Churchill, when I was at theatre school at East Fifteen, and. Um, I, I was speaking to this kind of random at the end of the night and I, I was constantly talking about my ambition and my dreams and, and, and what it is I think I need to make it into what I, what I do. And I kept apologising, I kept going, sorry, I've got no jokes for you, mate. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly talking about, about work and stuff. And he, he went, listen, David, you're talking about making it. He said, that's not a problem. He said, if you were sat here telling me you'd made it, <laughs> I'd think you're a bit of a knobhead <laughs> do you know what I mean and I've got a nice one man so to answer your question I think that's a problem so I think that's that, that's the way to get confidence in the job really to know that you're there still trying to make it the moment you you walk into that rehearsal room day one and go I've made it mm. I'm at the national just for the third time then I, I think you, you want to roll to disaster yeah but um and where where is the joy in it after that because what have you got to reach for? Do you know what I mean? I've spoken to actor friends of mine who are incredibly accomplished. And I think that feeling of trying to make it and not quite having made it yet, it never goes away. You know, as long as you keep doing it and as long as you keep kind of moving through that journey of success with it, I don't think it ever goes away. I think the goalposts just get wider and wider, don't they? Yeah, and this might go back to the first question you asked me. It's like, I, I, don't, I might not necessarily be a playwright. Like, um, it was just the one avenue I had to express myself, and it's the one that I've become comfortable and familiar with. But if I had all of the resources and all of the time and all of the financial support that I needed, mm. I might find a much better vessel for me to transport what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, so really it's just, theatre is a vessel of self-expression to you. Yeah. And depending on what tools you had, that could have manifested in any number of ways. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, we were, we were born roughly within the same sort of decade and our generation and the generation kind of slightly after us, I think we're almost famous for this sort of like DIY kind of approach to art. And there has been, you know, certainly that wave of like garage and then grime, especially in now drill music, that all kind of comes from the fact that Fruity Loops came about and was this tool that was available to, you know, young, marginalised people who maybe lived in tower blocks. So even if they had access to a trumpet or a saxophone, wouldn't have been able to practice it so much at home because you'd have the neighbours kind of banging on the, <laughs> on the ceiling or whatever. Whereas, you know, you put your headphones on, you sit in your room and you can play about on Fruity Loops all day long. And so there was this democratisation of music because that tool was then available. And I think it really kind of speaks to, to our generation, to my generation, to your generation, to generations in between and after that we are kind of that generation of like, yeah, 
create your own create your own platforms for things and use what tools you have in order to do it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So in terms of tools that you have at your disposal now and vessels for your creativity. So you've talked about this job that you're doing at the National. Um, I know that you're writing in continuing drama as well. Um, you've also kind of got plays sort of simmering as far as I'm aware. So talk a little bit more about kind of what you're doing now. Um, yeah, um, I'm, 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 I'm juggling a lot of plates, <laughs> uh, spinning a lot of plates, uh, as I say. But, do you know, I'm, I'm kind of finding out, do you know, where I grew up, politics was something that was kind of existed somewhere else. And, and the arts was something that, that, that existed somewhere else. And I think now I'm just kind of... When you say somewhere else... So specifically, I grew up on an estate called Mersey Bank, and it was like a little circle, one road in and one road out. Whereabouts in Manchester is it? Charlton. Charlton, Charlton okay. come hardy before it became yeah. Charlton come Before trending. it became, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was literally a circle within a circle, right next to um, Charlton Water Park, the, right, the lake. Yeah, I know it well, yeah. And you have the shops and the library, and just over the library wall, if you jump over that, which we used to do many a times, you're in a place then called Manor Drive. And it's a drive of manners. Oh. Like. Wow. And it's a little semicircle. Yeah. With huge houses. You'd never know about it. Like, just near Princess Parkway, end of Daly Avenue. That's over there. Mm. <laughs> and the same again, like, you, you, a 10-minute walk from Mersey Bank, you've got Cholmondville. Um, and, and, and for me, that's over there. And, and um, that's where, that's, that's, that, that's where broadsheets are read. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, um, yeah. That, I used to flip through my dad's paper and see see page three and and, and football at the back and mm. uh, and those kids I went to school who flipped through their dad's paper and flipped through their dad's other paper and flipped through the attachment from there. Like, yeah. it was, it's it's just a different environment totally. I always find that so interesting that extreme juxtaposition between kind of more impoverished areas and 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 such wealthy areas and you know in America because because I grew up for several years in America, we talk about this idea of on the other side of the tracks and that yeah. extreme wealth, you yeah. know, being on one side and poverty on the other side. And it's less talked about in this country, isn't it? But, but it it's, exists. Yeah, and it's, it, 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 it's coming up fast. Mm. <laughs> it's really closing down fast. That's what gentrification fast. has yeah. kind yeah. of brought even more so now, hasn't it? Yeah. So I suppose for me, through, through having some success, you could, you could say as it is, and through finding out that my voice actually is heard in all these different chambers... Um, it's actually I'm actually becoming political and I'm actually becoming and I'm finding that through art and, and I'm kind of taking responsibility on myself for that so I got I, I got into this this all became serious for me when I did a thing called Connections by National Theatre which is Plays for Young play People for yeah. so I just read I, I just wrote one which was performed so mm. so what was that called? it was called Chatback and um, it, 18 years ago I was performing in one with the National National Youth Theatre, and I came out and I got an agent straight away. She took me out of theatre school. It was the, the beginning of my career, and then like full circle. Eight, full circle. I'm, <laughs> I'm performing Shakespeare there, rehearsing Shakespeare, and, and, and these and these young young people from the from, from South Wirral, Liverpool, man, have come down to to perform my play. You know, and brought the mums and the dads down with them and stuff. And for me, I'm going flipping. This is this is what it's about. Like these kids are now going, Mum, look, look, Big Ben's over there. That's how important the building is that I'm doing this play. That's how important the play is mm. that it's in this building that's on the South Bank. There's Big Ben, yeah. there's the London Eye. And this tangibility. Yeah. And, uh, and There is something so powerful about, especially at that age, 
feeling like you are allowed to be in spaces like that. Because I, growing up, definitely didn't have that experience with theatre. Both my parents are kind of, um, you know, starving artists, I suppose you could call them. So we went to galleries, we we did all the free exhibitions and all of that. So I always felt okay there. You know, I'd always notice how if I went into my pocket to, to pull my phone out or to get, you know, the, the curator would be on it faster than lightning speed. Whereas like you'd see certain other people kind of taking pictures of VR and all that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, why are they allowed to take pictures and I'm not? But being comfortable in those spaces with the high ceilings and everything felt important. But then you go into these theater spaces you know, spaces like the Royal Exchange and understanding the Royal, the history of the Royal Exchange and understanding my own kind of history of like having ancestors who were slaves and how that connects and that sort of discomfort that you might feel kind of walking into those buildings, sort of knowing that those buildings were not designed for you. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful thing, I think, as a child kind of going in and not just just being in that building as a spectator, but being in that building as an artist, as yeah. an actor, and people have come to watch you perform in that building. You are yeah important. Um, definitely. And I think, just to continue answering your question, it's, um, it's making not just these buildings, but the art, the industry, tangible. And for me now, I think with every other plate that I'm gonna spin, have I got an opportunity to do that? As well as getting paid, or does the getting paid give me a format to be able to subsidise my own art, to be able mm. to keep talking about these things? Because actually trying to fit into a, into a funding box or a competition box, we go back to that topic we spoke about earlier of trying to write the right thing. Mm. If, if, if I'm taken on as the black writer for this or the black thing for that, I'm thinking they've got an agenda which might be different to mine. Um, and to be able to just write your own agenda and have that trust that we talked about in yourself and that faith and that desire... Um, so there's, 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 there's certain jobs that I'm doing that are highly commercial um, but, but the last thing I want to do is get comfortable and get the I've made it syndrome in yeah. that um, and go what, how am I going to activate this newfound political art kind of movement within myself and, um, I suppose so the, the beautiful thing the beautiful thing as well about writing those more commercial projects is that the income provide space to then focus on the projects which might not pay you much but you know you're doing good in the world with it exactly exactly and and to keep going through the, the different things that i'm doing so, so that's writing for telly there at, at the moment and then like even with the show that i've just done at the national the shakespeare and summer on the south bank and it's like people go oh is your mum come is your dad come your friends come and it's like i've been in this for 20 years now do you know how much money my friends and family have totted up coming down to london to come and watch <laughs> to feel uncomfortable <laughs> to come and watch me in plays that don't really speak to them. Like, it, 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 it can't always be... It, it's not as cheap as them coming to watch me play football. Like, and for me, I can't have them coming down to see a show that I think is going to reinforce their pre-assumption of theatre. Yes. Um, if I'm going to do something which is going to cost them minimum two, £200 and minimum 24 hours of their life, mm-hmm. it's got to be something that they go back and go, flipping heck, I didn't know they were talking about me in there. Do you know? I didn't know they knew about us in there. And, and so, go back to my first theatre job. 
And of course, I'm going to expect everyone to come down and watch that. And I remember ringing home to me, like, Dad, got, got a fair job. I'm like, they are cola theatre, £200 a week. Now I was on benefits at like 40 quid a week. And yeah. obviously I had my, my rent paid, but you never seen that. I got paid automatically. So as far as I was concerned, I'd been living off 45, 46 quid a week yeah. for most of my adult life. And also I was getting rich. £200, £200 pound a week. £200 a week, that's like, bad for oh, Come on. Um, and, then, and then like, I go to the theatre and it's like Dalston Kingsland in London, which is like, going to like a, a, a rough part of Wally Ranger or, or going to like um, uh, 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 Levenshume or something. So my, my, Significantly my, less, less my, uh, rough now, isn't it? You know, now yeah. But my dad so. uproots the whole family. David's doing a play in London. They all get dressed to the nines, come down. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Take out loans or whatever. <laughs> and then they get off the truck. They think they're going to the West End. <laughs> and they get off in Dalston, Kingsland, which is like in the middle of Rush Home. And in what year would have this would This was been? like uh, 2005, 2006. Wow. So very different then. This was just before it started to get, get cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they looked so let down. They were like, oh, good. they expected the big and the glitz. But halfway through, they loved it. They, 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 there was familiarity about... So then, but they saw proper art in the bottom of a textile mill. They, and they understood it. Mm. And it was like, they didn't just see art in a big theatre in the middle of London. They actually went to the, to the arse end of this place yeah. and went underground and sat on a stool and saw something they, they never thought they could even yeah. comprehend, never mind enjoy. And what was that play? It was called um, Afterbirth mm. um, by a writer called um, Dave Flores. And it, 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 it was great. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, for, for me, so then it's, it's about that responsibility now as an artist and I, when, when I talk about being politicised and, and all of a sudden knowing that my vessel for my politics is via my art um, it's not it doesn't mean that I'm going to start getting on Twitter and going I am now political and I'm doing all this nah I'm just going to talk to my neighbours and talk to my friends and talk to my family and be responsible of their money and of their um, in, in, in introduction into the in, into the arts through me and, and hopefully they can take ownership of their own way do you know, like I had a friend who brought his girlfriend to come watch a play and stuff and year, cut to years later and they've got one weekend where they've not got their newborn baby and they go to Scarborough and just off the other chance they go, should we go to the theatre? We really enjoyed it last time when I went to watch your mate and, and, and I, my mate and this is something that didn't happen in our thing and my mate's ringing me, just wanted to let you know we just went to the theatre and we were girlfriend, so that's our thing now, we go to the theatre oh. and I was like, this is beautiful, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're talking about it like it's this just revolutionary thing, but it should be so normal by now in 2022. Do you know? Can I tell you a beautiful story? It's, I'm going to try and condense it as best I can, but um, I wrote Sparkplug with yes. Boxer Tricks, and um, it's just a play about a, 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 a white man who, who, a white working class man who raised a mixed race lad um, by himself in the 80s and 90s. And it's semi autobiographical. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, so when I first went down to London with the National Youth Theatre, I could say I was in that MC mode. I was in that MC mode. I had a, I had a fade with a pattern in my hair. I had 110 Nikes. Yes. Uh, everything was ironed, like uh, image. I was a proper scally. I didn't know how much of a townie I was until I got down there and, and, and saw the different people I was, I was hanging around with. But like 
he's like, David, oh, you, you look like an MC. Can you MC? And it was like, of course, I got bars for days, and I can't. Have, and it became like a bit of a, I became like a bit of a, a trophy, like a bit of a, a, a gimmick. Like, oh, let's get, let's get the, yeah. the, the mixed race scally out to come and do some bars. You know, you know. Mm. And I went back a year later, and um, these two guys, these older guys, a guy called Gabola Hanabison, who's now the artistic director of uh, Brixton House down in London, and another guy called um, Nathaniel Marcello White, who's a great actor writer. They pulled me up into their room and went, "We need to tell you about spoken." word and they showed me this thing which was spoken word which for me was like that's like emceeing but without the music and it's like poetry but without the snobbery but that's exactly what I'm doing and I, I, I did this this spoken word stuff yeah and, and at the same time I was getting into British hip-hop which yeah. I, I, my dad had, had kind of kept away from American black and American mm -hmm. kind of at my time gang culture yeah. growing up in Manchester with the Maasai gang wars and mm -hmm. what was going on in America it was a kind of dangerous thing for my dad as a parent and for, for me being a lad with no brothers and sisters and coming from a white council estate but I was getting into British hip hop and I, I, I got into this album this guy called Skinny Man this white rapper Skinny Man yeah um, do you know so, so let's fast forward like 15 years and I'm working with a guy called um, 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 uh, John Z D down at, da, da, down at uh, Sadler's Wells in London and he goes you know Skinny don't you and I've gone Skinny and he's gone I've gone no way am I going to Skinny Man so I was introduced to Skinny Man and he's like yeah, Manchester, what are you saying? Yeah, I've been to Manchester, yeah, nah, nah. Now, so every time I go to London, I ring Skinny, <laughs> and, um, and I tell him about what's going on in my life and what I'm up to, and, and then I went to see him literally at, like last year, or maybe earlier this year, and he went, come with me for a brew. So I had to, I got inside, and he's like, you've got an hour? I was like, yeah, and he went, listen, my brother rang me from prison yesterday, crying, telling me he loves me, and I'm thinking, it's just a coming out story, Skinny. I don't, I don't know you well enough. I, I didn't realise he was talking about his own brother. And anyway, long story short, his maniac little brother, who's mixed race, who's been in jail for six years, who only fantasises about being a gangster with the women and the guns and selling drugs, um, he's totally disillusioned because his big brother is, is a rapper, you know? Um, but as always, as has been brought up by his big brother, who's a skinny little white man, um, I, I, I never once... Like, it's always said to him, who do you think you are, my dad? Who do you think you are, my dad? And then this guy, this little, this, this maniac, mixed race guy, was now ringing Skinny, his big white brother, to say, I love you, man, in tears. And he's going, what's going on? He's going, I've just watched Spark Plug. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's... laughs> wow. So the play that I wrote had been put on Sky Arts, and it had been shown in prison. That's... Do you know? So, like, this, 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 and... What, yeah. what a, a huge moment in your career, that in your life, that must have been. Oh, I mean, just... the idea that that it's shown in prison, but that this parallel between this young mixed race lad who's in prison, who's essentially been raised by his older white brother, and that parallel between your story and the spark plug story of being raised by a white man, and that which might have felt like when you were creating it, such a niche experience, but it's spoken to somebody who was clearly so in need of hearing that story and feeling seen. It's just phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's yeah. And I had skin myself like going, now I don't know what this is, I've looked online, I can't find them. <laughs> what is this thing, blood? What is this thing? And I sent it, she had tears all over the place. Wow. It was just, it was like, look, skinny, I can't believe, like you telling your story in your yeah, um, I Council of State of Mind skinny. album. Um, and the the the, 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 skip, the skips in that and everything, um, and, and, and the, the 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 power that gave me to start find, think, finding my tools and my voice, mm -hmm. 
for, for to think that he's coming back and now telling me about a massive life event of his, which was inspired by something that I've wrote. It's like, and there it is. There's the importance. Yeah. And don't waste no one's time. Understand if you jump. Understand if if you're doing the commercial work, if you mm. if, if you're playing low status to do something. Understand what it is you're doing and why, and and make sure you're making plans to put it right in the future. You know. And I really love this idea of um, of art being like an ecosystem where everything sort of feeds back into itself. You know, this idea that you grew up listening to Skinny Man and he inspired you in your work and and him then being inspired by you and your work and his brother being inspired. That's what it's about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. about making art that is just for a certain section of people, i.e. Yeah. quite elitist people, you know, so that those same quite elitist people can just sit da- sit around and nod and go, yes, 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 yes. I've yes, got a close yes. friend who's in jail at the moment, unfortunately. Mm. And um, like, I had my first episode of Coronation Street on last year. And he ran, I got the whole wing went out to sit and watch Coronation Street. And we all sat and watched it at the same time. And, you know what I mean? Total opposite end of the spectrum. But, yeah. but as well, what you're doing, we never watch, like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Coronation Street isn't something necessarily of value or tangible for us to be talking about. Or, I disagree. I grew up watching Coronation Street and it, it, it made me, I think it taught me a lot about morality. You know, I, in I the, just mean in between the, me and my friends. Yeah, like, yeah. Between me and my mum, it might be something that I talk about. Right, between yeah. me and my friend, it's, he'd never come round to mine and we'll yeah. sit and watch an episode of Corrie. He's watching it because you wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. I, so, so you're still giving him a, a reason to wake up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, totally. I don't. I don't mean to patronise anyone or talk any rubbish but something for him to brag about mm. in, a, in a very mundane world oh, totally, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and I think you know the interesting thing about soaps is that they do have such reach such reach you know such a broad range of uh, kind of viewers and the interesting thing about that is we can all write plays you know if I, if I was to write a play and I'm like this play is about racism and it says something about that in the blurb and then people who are interested in plays about racism will come and see that play. And people who have the means to come and see that play will come and see that play, right? Whereas if you tell a story like that through a soap, then the, the broad range of people who might not be interested in hearing about racism, yeah, quote, unquote, yeah, yeah. who might not have the money to go to the theatre or the means to go to the theatre, will see... And then you're not just shouting into an echo chamber. And I think there's something special about that. And personally, see, it's nice... This is... We're looping in this conversation as well at the moment because, personally, for me, I don't think something should ever be advertised that this is a play about race. Yeah. Or because it should be a human story about something. Yeah. Which covers the themes of race. But ultimately. Or covers the themes of something. But there's a lot of stuff that's the push. Yeah. The very clumsy push for diversity at the moment. Because and the playwright will know that. Yeah, maybe there's themes about race explored in this, but this is a, a human story that's about this yeah. couple or whatever. But the people who are often writing the blurb or advertising it or whatever, it's them that will pull out those themes because those people are from a certain demographic that yeah. is not necessarily the playwright's demographic. And that's where it gets a bit sort of complicated, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I wrote a play that never got produced, but got, got looked at a lot. And one of the comments that stuck with me a lot was the central character was, the protagonist was a mixed race lad who had massive identity crashes. He'd been a carer of his nano and... Um, he, he, he didn't know how he identified to himself. He, he's um, applying for online dating and the questions about your interests and your likes and your mm. foods. and he, he, All of his answers are things that his nana likes because care is usually, yeah. identi- <laughs> like, um, usually into everything the person they care for. So, um, 
So this lad was trying to figure out his sexuality, his, his race, um, who he should be as a person of colour, who should does he have to worry about it, all of these things that any kind of complex human goes through mm. when it comes to identity. And I kind of a note came back from marketing saying, but how do we how do we sell this? Is he is he figuring out his sexuality or is he figuring out his race? <laughs> Can't it be both? <laughs> should you, yeah, like could be, and, and, and this is a kind yeah. of. And I asked that question knowing full well that it can't be it both can't, based on can't. how marketing look at so many of these projects. And I've, you know, run into, you know, there's a, there's a novel that I've been trying to get published and uh, that novel is sci-fi, but could also fit into sort of the women's fiction category. And that's where it gets But what's that got to do with your identity? Well, <laughs> apparently it, it can't be sci-fi and women's fiction because not enough women are interested in sci-fi, okay, apparently. Okay, but yeah. I know that's not true because yeah. I know plenty of women that are interested in sci-fi. And I think, particularly in this country, we, we still live in a society of like putting things in boxes and everything has to be in a very specific box in order to make it manageable. and Dividable. You know, yeah, even career-wise, the amount of people that have said to me, Oh, so, so you're an actor and a writer. Okay, well, which do you prefer? Which which you like better? Which do you do more of? And it's like, well, can it can it not just be both? Oh, you're mixed race, so are you more... Do you identify more with your black oh, I, I, had it, I, had it, I had it from a, 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 a black person. Oh, can I jam? Can I just have a Please, little chat? Please, go for so, it. So... Um, <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, I was working at the National recently. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, 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 I've done a couple of jobs. I did a, I did a gig Romeo and Juliet, and and I was downstairs having a, 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 a pint, and a lot of people who worked behind the bar were aspiring actors as well. And um, this black woman was like, "Oh, you're that guy. You remember me on Juliet?" Boom. And then she started listing off all the things I've done in my career, and I was like, "Shit!" And, and I just gave her respect for that man. It was really lovely, you know. And, uh, and I've been there for three months I was there, so constant hello, da, 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 you know, buzzing. I remember the name, I'm not going to say it here, just to the sake of it, but, um, like, and the 10th, 11th time we've spoke, I was, she, she, she sits down and she's going, do you know, I was thinking of my cousin the other day, and then I was thinking of you, and I was thinking of how hard it must be that you've got to pick one side or the other. Sorry? <laughs> when it comes to your race. Oh, wow. And I see, here's the problem now, you know, if this was... If this was stereotypically a white class, a white middle class person, my, my, I naturally, without thought, would have gone, boom, that's wrong, don't say that, and kind of started putting them down. Yeah. But I had to make a lot more space for this young black woman yeah, saying this yeah, to yeah. me. But yet, it hurt me just as much, you know? And I held on to it for a bit, and I did the, the right thing of not upsetting the, 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 the atmosphere. But a couple of weeks later, I, I definitely sat down and, and, and I said, look, you said this, and... and it's really bad. These questions are toxic and ancient. Mm. I says, I am neither half nor half of nothing. Mm. I am full me, full light brown. I'm not trying to, I don't think that I've got one foot in Jamaica and one foot in England. Believe me, I don't think that. And it's a fairy tale that thinks that I have. Because yeah. um, if you think I'm wholeheartedly accepted by one and wholeheartedly accepted <laughs> by the other, depending on which one I vote for or which one I choose, it's yeah. not going to happen. It's not um, so I need to find my own island and that's first generation light brown. There's a know? great actor called Jocelyn Awalia and he has like this whole sort of like campaign almost that he runs. Um, he's half Punjabi and half white, but he presents as white, like he is absolutely white passing, um, but speaks fluent Punjabi, fluent Punjabi. And it's amazing hearing it coming out of his mouth because it's not what you expect. Yeah, it'll blow your mind, it'll blow my mind. <laughs> it blows your mind. But he talks a lot about 
being both, not half. Right, and okay. how we need to kind of adjust our language to respect that idea because yeah. it's it's absolutely true, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, look, say I got with a, a mixed race girl from South Manchester who brought up in a white community just like me, um, and we have a, a child, like that child's and second generation, mm. me and that girl, yeah? Like it's, at uh, that, that, what point, it can't be, uh, you can't be fully mixed, but can you be fully mixed? What's the you word? Can be mixed, mixed, mixed race, mixed, what's I the, guess. Do you know? And it, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it, so I don't know what got me down this road, but, <laughs> but it, it, led to, it led to this, this um, me having this conversation with this black woman at, at work because it, it, was, it was very much easy for me to, to smile at that and just avoid confrontation and then kick off with the, the person who votes for Brexit or is very far right wing or the person who says the N word or the P word. Mm. But actually, they're just bullies and stupid people looking for a fight that they'll, they'll change the victim depending on what mood it is they're in. <laughs> but actually speaking to this, this person who could become a colleague, who's an aspiring actor, who's working in this, supposed to be a woke place. It, I thought I have to do this in a constructive way. I have to be confrontational whilst also trying to build a bridge. And I think that's what yeah. my art's got to try and do as well. Um, and I think it makes you consider that the conversations are so much more nuanced than people would have you believe. Yeah. You know, I think especially since and during the pandemic where everything just felt so polarised and, and even now things feel incredibly polarised. You know, it was like you, people who were wearing masks and people who weren't wearing masks and people who believed in the vaccine and people who didn't believe in the vaccine and very little room for people to kind of like just ask questions and have conversations in between. And I feel like it can be like that. You know, it goes back to what I was saying with putting things in boxes. Yeah. And, you know, what, what if we just take everything out of the boxes and really inspect the things that we're putting in the boxes and really explore all of these things together? I think, you know, when you mix race or bisexual or dual nationality or, you know, when you've kind of lived half your life down south and half your life up north or whatever, people are always expecting you to be on the verge of some sort of identity crisis. Yeah, yeah. They're expecting you to be at war with yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the trouble that that often kind of uh, brings about when you're an artist is that they're expecting you to make art that reflects this, this war inside yourself. Um, and I know I find it incredibly frustrating. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I, I think it's like, it's, it's, someone's put this in brackets, taboo. Anytime I talk about race, taboo. I've got to talk about race to find my identity. And every time I discover a little bit about myself, I get excited. So I was like in the summer by the, by the river, having a drink outside and, I meet a lot of new people, so I find myself having this, saying the same stuff, same thing a lot. But every time I say it, I get better at saying it. And I, and I convince myself more that it needs to be said, you know. And there's one where it's like, look, honestly, I, I, as, I, as, a, as a light brown, as a mixed race person, um, I've, had racism from, I've had racism from both white and black people. But if I'm really honest, the racism from most white people has been clumsy racism that they just don't know what's the right word to call me at this time or to assume I, I like hip-hop or something. Most of the, the most negative racism about this from the black community. Really? You were trying to figure out, but they, they talk heightened patwar at me to see how much patwar I know to speak back or they ask me about my roots or ask me about that to, to then whether to, to treat me, how black to treat me or how white to treat me to think about how much privilege I might have being able to blend into the other side. So the most direct racism I've had is from the black community. And I was having this conversation with some kind of um, energy and there was a, a single white lady sat just behind on the table. And I, I, went to, I went to the toilet, came back and she said, excuse me, I just, I've never heard 
that we spoke of before and wow. it's just so interesting to be heard and I think people need to keep speaking and I was going do you know because I wasn't fighting anyone I was telling people to try and let them in to get them closer to build bridges and I wasn't ac accusing black people or hating these people I was just going this is the reality of it do you know um, it's not it's not an experience that I share but I have heard other funnily enough mixed race men talk about this right yeah, yeah, yeah. I have Definitely had more um, positive experience with po positive experiences with the black community, and that's where then and yeah. more negative experience in terms of like racism from from white people, and a lot of it very sort of like nuanced racism from 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 white people, and it, it, yeah, it's interesting though because that really kind of um, it really speaks to the fact that so many people would believe that just because we are mixed, we are both mixed race, we have the same experience. But actually, even just what we're talking about right now with this, our experience has been vastly different. And the black diaspora in general isn't a homogenous glob of one experience, you know. We can be in, in writers' rooms where you will have a very specific idea of what being mixed race is. And I will have a very different idea of that and that's why it's so important to not just have one mixed race person in the room who speaks on behalf of all mixed race people because we've all got different experiences right yeah yeah and it's, it's funny how systemic the international indoctrination of of, of of people who want to be racist because i think look there's a fundamental difference between me and you is that you're a female and i'm a yeah, male yeah exactly. and you could and probably you could probably go traveling in italy by yourself and not receive too much Racism, well, uh, we might, and here we go, here's now perceptions, because I think then women will treat us different as men, but it's this thing, they've come to take our women. This is what, this is what white people all got shook up about black people coming to any kind of country, and they've, they've come to take our women. So yeah. I'm seen as a, if, if I, I, I'd love to go to Italy on my own, I'd love to go to Spain, to some of these places, but I know if I go into a bar and speak to people like I do in a club in Manchester, people are going to think I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm sexually... I'm there for sexual reasons, <laughs> like, and, and, and the men are going to treat me different, the women are, are going to treat me different, and like, if I did go with a partner, or if I did go as an old man, if I wasn't a sexual threat, like, um, the racism wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I've, I've been in Spain, I've been speaking to locals, and uh, what, girls have walked in, there's been a kerfuffle, and then they've come back to me and they've gone, David, listen, these girls walked in with these guys, they noticed you, um, the guys are pissed off, but um, as long as you don't speak to the girls, everything's okay. Gosh. Like and that's just that's just a real reality that you yeah. have to accept. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, I, and I'm going nice one because I felt that in about seven other countries I've been in. Mm. Do, you, do you know? And it, whereas my mate Lucy, who's gorgeous, makes she can go over everywhere and uh, uh, and uh, and not get that because she's not got a willy and she's not trying to stick it in everything. <laughs> like, if yeah. this makes any sense. As um, a woman, you won't be considered a threat. Yeah, yeah. However, you will receive a certain level of threat depending on. You know, I was in Mexico a couple of summers ago, yeah, and I had travelled there alone. Course, and um, and my friend, who is mixed race and a man, was talking to me about uh, the Mexican police and how they're the people you need to be most scared of when you're here. Like it, it's it, the police can be quite scary. And I had multiple friends who I met while I was out there. Um, for the most of them, like white Canadians, who had told me about their experience with the police and how. Um, you know, there was a girl who'd had her passport and a wallet like confiscated and had had to go to the embassy and it was a nightmare and a guy who'd been thrown in, in prison for the night just because he had a tiny little bit of weed on him. All these kind of like horror stories that I was hearing. 
And then, uh, and then my friend John said, yeah, but like, you know, I'll be honest, they, they hassle black and mixed race people a lot, a lot less because they're after money. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They assume that if you're black or mixed race, oh you're God, poor. That's, that's been real. And I that's thought, wow. And I said to him, wow, so this could be like the one place where I'm actually safer with cops than anywhere else. And he went, yeah, except they won't really see your colour because you're a woman yeah. and they hassle all the women. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, right. Let's be real though. <laughs> and that's to... the intersectionality of it all. Do you know? You know? And it, do you know, it spreads as far as Mexico. I was at home with Boxer Tricks. I was at home doing an event. Went into a toilet. Yeah, yeah, in Manchester. <laughs> I went, went into a toilet. Security guard followed me into the cubicle. Yes. Like, one second. You, it's a theatre. This is not yeah. a club. No. Like, but... And, and, and we talk about racism, but I, and I don't. The profile in there for me was the locality of it. I don't think the local pound was what he thought the building was looking for. When it comes to arts, mm-hmm. we okay, yeah, students, yeah, student pound, yeah, we want the old pound, <laughs> and we want the we, we want the, the middle class yeah. pound. But actually, we, yeah, what's this Mancunian doing in the theatre? He shouldn't be here. Yeah, do you know? And yeah. starts following me around like following me around like I'm in Sainsbury's, mm-hmm. and it's it's like come. And on. we do get followed around in Sainsbury's. Do you know? I always and feel like that you've got no money. Yeah. And the same the assumption that the Mexican police yeah. are doing this out there, the assumption that black people don't yeah. have money or are intelligent. Mm-hmm. And it's do you know? It's it's like and you so, have to think about. I know. I know. I I certainly have to think about when I'm going to the shops what am I wearing yeah, yeah, yeah. can I really go to Sainsbury's or Tesco when I've just come out of the gym possibly not because I will get followed and I'll have to go around making it very clear yeah, that I'm putting yeah, yeah. things in my basket and I am going to pay for each and every item whereas if I'm dressed like you know how I normally would be I can it's not it's not such an issue so there's there's even but the fact that you have to think about these things it's, yeah normal <laughs> so to go back to like, like assumptions and this isn't necessarily racism, but that assumption from the black side and the white side. So I wrote a, a, a play called Panlid, and we did a we did a rehearse a, a rehearse reading at home theatre in Manchester, and um, my, my my friend Lucy, who's a mixed race female from Manchester, she came along and she brought her friend Samson, who's a second generation um, African male. Um, so he's, he's black, but he speaks Mancunian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's his mum and dad who came over here. Um, and they've come to watch this script in hand meeting, uh, reading. And then afterwards, uh, and within the play, there's a lad who's talking about being mixed race and which box to tick and doesn't know how he's here and often makes his, make up his own box and stuff like this. But afterwards in the bar, Samson, the, the second generation African, was speaking to my friend Lucy, the mixed race woman, saying, do you, do you as a mixed race woman, do, do you feel like the character in, in the play? And she went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he apologised to her because he'd only ever spoke to her as a black woman. Interesting. Do you yeah. know? Now, I, I could never write that. But the fact that, that I had wrote yeah. that, I could never intend to write that. Mm. But the fact that I had wrote something that that conversation can come from because we're talking about the different angles here and, and yeah, 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 the assumption that we're... we're that, that you mix race, so you're gonna be pro-black. The, the moment a black person gives you attention, you're gonna go, my peoples! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, do you know what I mean? Do you, do you, uh, and Samson's mind was blown. He was like, shit, I, I just thought you were happy. You were happy being black. I didn't think you ever considered the But she's like, but you come to, to my mum's and you eat dinner with my mum and my mum's, the white person is the staple in the house all the time. How, if, to neglect my white side would be to neglect this part of the family, you know? And, and he loves her. This is all out of love. This is, do you know what I mean, friend? But yeah. he just always assumed that she'd considered herself black. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's these little things that we, like you say, 
And I also think it's, you know, for, for us to just, I think in certain contexts we might refer to ourselves as black, but ultimately we cannot reflect the experiences of our darker skinned black brothers and sisters because we have not moved through the world as a dark skinned black person. And the privilege that we have, and, and it's, you know, it's such a, a tricky thing sometimes, isn't it, to, to speak about privilege when you're low income or working class or whatever. But ultimately, if you have white parentage and the lightness of skin that comes with that, the access to white privilege that you have means that you don't have the same experience as, as your dark-skinned brothers and sisters. And to, to, to then be kind of looked at to speak for the entire black community is hugely problematic yeah. because it's not, it's not going to be the same experience. And also, you know, how many times might we have been included in something to check a, a certain diversity box because we're the acceptable face of black Britain quote unquote, rather than them hire someone who is blackity black because they just can't go that extra mile and yeah. actually do the right thing. And now the fear of that means that we can't go up for any black black roles now yeah. because we're doing it as a sofa bet and it's like we're yeah. not in the 90s anymore, man. And I'll hold my hand up and say, do you know, social, socially, black was, was, was something to be, it was cool, the music, the clothes, like coming out of the 90s. Um, and, and, and even in TV, when I started my career, it was like, yeah, it's a black guy to get in. You, you knew, I knew I was getting a, a step ahead of black, uh, of people blacker than me. Well, I want to say something about like, hold on, I'm saying I'm black because my same friend Lucy is very well read. Um, she'll be like, um, oh, a few people um, and a few conversations have gone, look, David, whether you identify as black or not, the world sees you as black. Yeah. You are black, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, okay, I'm not going to accept that wholeheartedly, because, so, so then, when I was at theatre school, I'm looking at characters, and some of the first things they tell us to do with, 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 with script work is go through the script and find everything that any other character says about your character, then go, and make a list of it, then go through and find out everything that your character says about yourself. Yeah, facts and questions. So what, your <laughs> what your character says about yourself is the person you aspire to be. What everyone else says about you is the person that you are being. Mm. Yeah. So in that sense, it marries up to you might not identify as black, but yeah. the rest of the world sees you as black. But that doesn't. But then the the maths of that changes for transgender world. Mm. Mm -hmm. So 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 now there's two, now there's two different games. I'm I'm not saying well I'm not allowed to go. I want I I, I want more. I want to be seen as what I feel like on the inside. Because there's a book yeah. that says, no, you've got to be black. The rest of the world says you're black. Yeah. But yeah, if I was transgender, that would be a crime to tell me to be quiet like that. It sh and it should be because everyone should, everyone has the right to, to, to represent themselves of how, as how they truly yeah. feel on let's, the inside, let's, right? be real, let's, let's be real. My biological makeup mm -hmm. is 50% uh, Caribbean, 50% yeah. British. Yeah. Um, my, so you're as white as you are black. Yeah, yeah, biologically. And biologically, then... Yeah. So then let's go into um, 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 my culture, my, like, my environment, yeah? Um, and, my, um, and the world I've been brought up in. Um, my, the black in me, the, mm -hmm. the black left before I was born. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, my mum, the only bit of blood that, that I had left, um, she left to, to find out her own sexuality when I, when I was six. Mm -hmm. um, the only person, the only person who stayed around to raise me was this white guy who had Irish roots, very working class. 
But I was, I was raised in South Manchester, which happens to be a very forward-thinking city. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to be inspired by the gay community, by mm -hmm. the black community, um, by the working class, because it's Manchester, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I, I literally went to an all-white school, in primary school, an all-white estate almost, with Irish roots. So yeah, 50-50, biologically I'm 50-50, but when it comes to everything else about my life, does that not tip the scale to say I'm a little bit more white than I am black? Well, this is the thing, because a lot of people... A lot of people think My heritage, that, you know what I mean? That, that, that race is just the colour of your skin. And it's so much more complicated yeah. than that. Um, it, it goes so much deeper than that. And a lot of people don't realise that. So are you, are you saying that you identify more as a white person who just happens to have black skin? In South Africa, you have whites, blacks and cake coloureds. Mm -hmm. And if you call someone Cape Coloured in South Africa, that's not a racist term or a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be during the apartheid, by the way it stuck up, but no one ever calls a Cape Coloured in South Africa. No one ever accuses them of being half of one or half of the other, mm -hmm. or being be, trying to act black or trying to act white. Mm -hmm. They have a word that they get to describe themselves yeah. that, that they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And for me, that's the thing. I think that's... That's how you identify. Yeah, yeah. And as a juvenile, that, how that manifested, that lack of identity... Yeah. how that manifests can be quite toxic and dangerous because you're trying to jump onto these groups that society is offering you and you've only got certain, the ones that are offered you at that time, do you know? And I think context makes such a big difference in that as well. You know, when I was a kid growing up in North Manchester and I was the only girl of black heritage in my year at school, at primary school, I was bullied relentlessly for, you know, my fat lips, quote unquote, my weird nose, my big hair, all of these things, which at the time I just internalized and thought it meant I was ugly. And it wasn't until like decades later that I was like, oh, all of those things tie back to my blackness. Then I moved to America at 12 years old. I moved to Georgia and went to a school that was 45% black, 45% white and 10% other, which was kind of the Hispanic kids and the... Pacific Islanders, the East Asian kids, and never got bullied there ever. And I always wondered why, and I, but I knew why, you know, I knew why. I knew but, it was because there were kids that were darker than me around, right? Yeah. So I was no longer the black kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there were black kids, and I was all of a sudden very light-skinned. Yeah. I was all, you know, and it's... But kids will bully. And like, so you might not, you know, you still could have been the ugly kid or the mm -hmm. smelly kid or mm -hmm. the poor kid. Like, um, kids will still bully. And I yeah. think sometimes... And actually one of my best mates, who was very, who was a very dark-skinned black girl, did get bullied for being very dark-skinned. And that's, that's where it's, you know, so it wasn't a perfect kind of microcosm that yeah. I was and, and, and living in. And I think I've got, I've got an agenda on this as well, which my play Sparkle touches a little bit, but... When I was in that juvenile environment, I got called the P word more than I got called the wow. N word. I've been called that because well, when you're yeah. young, you get called the, the person with with with, with, mm. with um, orange hair. You're, you're ginger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? You're a P. Yeah, you're an yeah. N. And, yeah. and actually, if you looked at the colour of my skin, a kid yeah. would go, "Well, he's he's a it's P. He's, a, he's closer to a P than an N." And and listen, some kids will bully. And kids will be bullied and. Kids, kids, kids will be kids, <laughs> like in a certain kind of way. But the thing is, is that you see adults still doing this behaviour. Yeah. And I think what we need to be able to do is go, oh, your, your, your late twenties still yeah. sitting in the corner using the P word and the N word. Yeah. And we need to keep, will someone who's got less to lose beat him up? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, this isn't what I'm doing art for. Mm. I'm not doing art for him. I'm doing, I'm doing my art for that black girl who was serving me drinks. Interesting. Asking me, 
it must be so hard for you having to pick one side or the other. Like, do you know, this person's because just an immature bully on the street looking for a fight. They don't, yeah. They're not actually clever enough to be racist. Exactly. <laughs> it, and, it, and, and, and trying to reach people like that would be like trying to ex explain Rothko to someone who doesn't understand the primary colours. Yeah, yeah. Just looking I mean? for a fight, passing along until they find and, someone who can fight them back. And is it up to us? Should should we have to shoulder the burden of the emotional labour that it would take to to correct the path of somebody who is so far gone yeah. at that age? You know. Yeah. And I think ultimately what we're talking about is just being othered from a very young age. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's an othering, and it doesn't matter whether you're being called the P word or the N word, or whether you're being othered because you're a woman or disabled or whatever. Whatever othering you have experienced, it's, it's, it all fits under that same category, doesn't it? Yeah, and this, this, I'm not sure what the first question was you asked me at the top, but I'm sure this might filter into it. And it, it, it was like, not everyone has a voice, or, or, or not everyone has an unheard voice. Like, like, I might have been good in drama and done that at drama because I might have been the most unstable kid in that year, in that class. What do and, you mean by unstable? Or the most unheard, like um, your upbringing, which mm. it's only now I work and live in a middle class world that I see how unprepared my parents were for me and, and many of us were, do you know? Um, like there's so many unplanned children out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and there's about to be so many more thanks to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And yeah, and it's a middle class world that literally choose when they're going to have babies. Yeah. And, and I'm just, as an adult, I'm just seeing this happen now amongst some of my peers and I'm going, I'm almost jealous of their unborn kids before they're even born because I know someone's read a book about them before they're born, do you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, I was like, I could say I was the other Mm -hmm. And I had no one to speak to about being the other. So I had an unheard voice. I had, I had no brothers and sisters. I, I had thoughts. I had things that I needed to work out in the world that were affecting my, my development socially, my development ac academically. Mm -hmm. and, I, and because I didn't have parents who had the skills or, the prep, or put the prep in to give me a place to be heard, um, I was constantly fighting with kids on the street to get your voice in or fighting with stepbrothers and sisters to, to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, that you don't necessarily realise that you, you need to say something. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, so actually, um, the, the drama was that was that place where the teacher must have gone. He, he needs to say something. Mm. You know. Um, I'm either saying that through some through another character or or, or through something. And Whether you're writing it yourself. Yeah. You do. Yeah, yeah. So I, th I think we've got to then take that other as a bit of superhero power. Yeah. That we, we're going to think about things different. Everyone's going to think about things differently because everyone is different. But when we think about these majorities that we don't belong to, that we've got receipt tags of, yeah. <laughs> actually, we're, 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 our, our thinking's in overdrive compared to these places, yeah. which we've got to put to good use. And because we've got to work out a pathway through the world that people who you know are white, cis, het, able-bodied, etc., born with silver spoons in their mouths. They don't have to work quite so hard to navigate the world to figure out what that pathway is. And I really do believe that the page and the stage is a perfect place to kind of work out what that pathway might be. I think so. And I think when you look at a GCSE drama room in high school, I like what you just said there, a pen and a page. Actually, these things are as accessible as a football. And if we have got a lot of angry young people and the world's turning too fast for them to be able to express themselves either physically or mentally, like, actually, we should always have a pad and a pencil and a football that <laughs> they could go and kick around or write and doodle on, you know? And, and I think the importance and the, the accessi 
the, the chance to be able the accessibility of, of them kind of things yeah. then relies on the tangibility of these buildings and uh, that, that exist in the industry like the yeah. Royal Exchange and stuff like that you know David Judge you've been a brilliant guest hey. thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh, thank you for asking me you've been a great host man. Okay. yes thank you very much peace and love well that was brilliant wasn't it honest and interesting and super inspiring and I'm not even slightly surprised it's what I'd expect from someone like David so good to have him on the podcast and I can't wait to see what he does next and thanks for listening once again to the Playmakers podcast you can follow Box of Tricks on Twitter at B-O-T-T-C or on Instagram at Box of Tricks Theatre you can also find me at Carla M Sweet on both platforms And you can follow David on Twitter at David S. Judge. If you enjoyed listening, tell your friends, share on your socials, and of course, subscribe. I'll see you next time.